My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is The Morning Meeting. Today we have two guests on the podcast, Jesse Guzik and Rachel Werner. Both of them are child life specialists for the Cancer Support Community of Central New Jersey. I don't want to give away what a child life specialist does, so I'm going to let them explain it, but they've both had some experiences as children that led them to this career, and I'm really excited to have them on the show. So I'm really excited to have two people on the podcast today, Jesse Guzik and Rachel Warner. Um, I'm so excited to have you both here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to have the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah. So excited to be on a podcast instead of listening to one. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell us, um, maybe we could start with you, Rachel, like, um, where do you work? Um, what do you do? Yeah, so I am a certified child life specialist and one of the child and youth program coordinators at Cancer Support Community of Central New Jersey. Jesse is the other one. <laughs> um, both of us are child life specialists. We're two halves of one whole. Right. So you are doing like a job share. Yes. Correct. Right. So we make up one full position. We're both certified child life specialists. We actually went to grad school together and got our um Masters in Child Life together, and we are uh, now working together as um, Child and Youth Program Coordinator. So I was working previously uh, full-time, and then with everything going on with the pandemic, um, a lot of unforeseen circumstances have come to be, as I think a lot of people have experienced in this really difficult and trying time. And so I had to step down to a part-time capacity and Rachel came on board. And so now we are using double the brain power to organize (laughs) a lot of really great uh, virtual programs right now for children and families that are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. So we work with children who they themselves have a diagnosis and their families, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, children of adults with a cancer diagnosis and the rest of the family. Yes, some of the um, programs that we offer are, we range in um, offerings from traditional support groups for adults and children and teens and youth, Mm -hmm. and we range all the way over to everything from social programs or one-off kind of social events to wellness activities. We do yoga and kickboxing. Um, We have nutrition programs, and um, we also do... um, expressive art activities. And are you doing all of those things online currently? Correct. We absolutely are. Everything is offered online. We as an organization are operating completely virtually. um, Mm -hmm. And we also have a whole side of adult programming that um, Jesse and I's colleagues run. And that is also absolutely 100% online. And not everything that we offer is free of charge. So that's a really important caveat, especially right now. I think yeah. a lot of people are struggling financially. And so I think it's really important to add that all of the services that we offer are free of charge. So if people, typically, I guess people have to live fairly close to the center to be able to participate. Are are you opening it up at this point since it's virtual to anyone that wants to come? 
Yeah, we are. So we are currently, we actually have a family that we're working with that are in the New York area and we are expanding our reach across New Jersey. So it's really a beautiful thing that we're able to do. We just had an online conference that we offered, Strengthening Our Schools. We offer that annually. And typically what we've had is professionals from the area attend. We've had school professionals, um, we've had other child life specialists, social workers, anyone working in in the field that um, the content is applicable to this year. We went virtual for obvious reasons. We were able to expand our reach all the way to Canada, and we even had someone join us from China. Well, I have to say, as a presenter at that conference, um, it's nice to know that I'm now an international speaker. You're an international. You know, somebody was Absolutely from China. are. <laughs> Sandy Zucker, international zoop, super. There we go. <laughs> Something that we've seen is we're able to bring in a ton of volunteers and volunteers from all over the place who um, have really unique specialties and are really catered to the populations that we work with. Um, And we've also been able to offer those programs more frequently because we don't have to be at the office. We don't have to ask people to come in person. We are having people attend every day in a row who otherwise would have um, requirements that wouldn't allow them to get there. I know we're also seeing people tap into support groups from locations that they would not have been able to tap into before or attend support even when they're not necessarily well enough to leave their house, which is something that we've seen such a big improvement on Mm -hmm. going in the virtual space. Yeah, that's always been a challenge to be able to support people who are sick when they can't leave. But now um, that's a really nice benefit for them that they can actually get the support online. So. Yeah, that's awesome. absolutely. And I keep saying from the working in the community space, um, it's not like working in a hospital where generally child life specialists, our profession was born in the hospital. So in the hospital, the patients and families are coming to you. And oftentimes I relate to working in the community space that we are going to them. So yep. we have this kind of opportunity to be accessible whenever they need us. That's great. Can, um, maybe Jesse, can you just explain what is a child life specialist? I feel like we keep using the word and some people probably have never even heard of a child life specialist. Definitely. So I always say that if you haven't heard of child life, typically that means that you haven't had a child in the hospital because that is, as Rachel mentioned, typically where we're found is in pediatric hospital settings. As the field is growing and expanding, we have um, moved into a, a ton of other spaces But historically, what child life is, is we have a background in human development and age-appropriate sort of explanations and and ways to help children understand what's going on in the world around them. So in the hospital, what that means is helping them understand why they're there, helping them understand, you know, what's happening to them, why why are they receiving a certain procedure, what is that doing for them? And then allowing opportunities through play and expression to to sort of process what it is that's going on and and everything that that sort of has transpired while in the hospital or dealing with a chronic long term illness. So really, what what has been found over time is that that skill set is is so valuable in other places. So we've started to branch off into pediatricians' offices or um, maybe the dentist office. I've seen uh, child life in private practice now, which is really exciting. 
working one-to-one with children once they've left the hospital, you know, outside of those four walls, the Mm -hmm. the trauma and the things that happen and transpire really does continue to to affect a child in their life and and their coping. So by being able to to sort of bring the skill set elsewhere, um, the child is is really able to um, continue processing and and learning to develop uh, strong coping skills. There is no no guidebook for parents on how to deal with telling your child that you have cancer or helping a child understand what cancer is because you know they may be given that diagnosis you know from a phone call. Um, the doctor might call and say, you know, hey, you've got a cancer diagnosis. Well, then the parents left to their own devices to figure out how do I tell my child something like this? And that's where we come in. But we will help give that language to say, you know, well, what is cancer? What does that mean? Why is that different from being sick? Um, A lot of times as adults, we use words that children may not understand or might equate to something else. So by saying, you know, oh, cancer means that mommy or daddy is sick. Well, does that mean that they have a cold? What does that What does that really mean? And helping them understand that this is something different. Uh, kids ask really difficult questions like, are you going to die? What brings you to this work? Jesse? I don't know if you want to go first. Sure. <laughs> so for me personally, I have experienced a lot of loss and, and death throughout my entire life and very much um, throughout my childhood. I wish that back then I had me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had had someone to help me understand what was going on, the things that I was seeing, you know, what really is cancer. And, you know, I had a lot of family members with cancer, but it looked different um, each, each individual. And, you know, some lived longer, others didn't. Um, Treatment looked different, and I wish I was able to understand the differences and and what that meant. Um, I remember my mom always used to say to me, "Oh, you know, Grandma is very sick. We have to spend a lot of time with her." And I didn't understand what that meant, and so I wish that, you know, I had the language in in ways that I could could process and understand. Okay, you know, Grandma is not going to be here with us forever. Um, you know, our time is very limited. I think. What you just said is so powerful that, you know, we we don't want to say someone's going to die, right? Like just using those words are so scary for parents. So when you say someone's sick, we need to spend time with them. It can be confusing to a kid because they, they don't know that after sickness, if you don't get better, that means you die. So, you know, I'm struck by that image of, you know, Jesse as a little girl visiting grandma who's sick. And oftentimes, you know, you're told when somebody's sick, you shouldn't be around them, right? Um, so why are we supposed to be around her? So, you know, I can imagine your mom being very scared to say, and she's going to die. Like you just, that one step further, and it sounds like that's a lot of what child life specialists do is support parents in getting to that next, that one one more step. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the parallel to that is, in the work that Rachel and I do, I find that a lot of people are so scared to say the word cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're called, you know, cancer support community. The, the word cancer is in our name. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that um, really scares people off. They may not want to bring their child to a place called cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have told people time and time again, because really we don't, you know, we, we don't think of it this way. Cancer is just a word to 
to a child, they don't know what cancer means. It's our job as adults to paint that picture and help them understand what that means and to, to create that definition for, for them. So we're, we're so scared to say this word that holds so much power for us in our heads. The word cancer means chemotherapy, um, you know, nausea, vomiting, all mm-hmm. of those really scary pictures, hair loss. But for a child, they haven't had that experience yet to understand that. So it's really up to us to help paint that picture. And And I wish that I... You know, I have my own images of cancer in my head now based on on my experience. And mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, we all bring that prior experience to the table. So how can we create a healthy environment for, for our child to, to process and understand? Yep. Rachel, can I ask you, what, what brings you to this work? Yeah. So I, for really as long as I remembered, I really wanted to help children through difficult things. And I didn't really know what that looked like. Um, And thankfully had a very, um, had an awesome mentor when I was in college who who 100% just introduced me to the profession. She didn't know (laughs) a lot about it, but um, had really just kind of aligned me and my goals with the profession. Um, I think a big kind of motivator for me wanting to be in this line of work was that my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 14. Um, She fought for seven years and passed away when I was 20. And um, I don't think it's necessarily what has, I don't think there's a direct cause and effect because I, I can acknowledge kind of prior to her getting sick that this was something that I was interested in. Um, But I think it does, it gives me, the motivation to continue to help people, as Jesse said, like us, people who have experienced loss, people who have experienced pain, and help them understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as as humans, we hold a lot of our experiences with us. And our goal as child life specialists is to provide as positive of an experience for children to hold with them as they progress. And it doesn't mean it will not include pain. It doesn't mean that it not, it will not include loss, but I think there's a lot to be gained for having the opportunity to process those feelings as you're feeling them, not 20 years down the line, right? right? Which is what a lot of us do when we don't have the opportunity or have the tools to cope. Um, And when we're given those tools and we're given the opportunity and space, which is what we do, we hold the space um, for children and families to have those difficult conversations like the one that Jesse has talked about um, and give them kind of that that framework to move forward on. Um, I can see from an adult perspective of someone who had experienced a very intense loss that um, it it's such an important aspect of the process um, and it will benefit us to have those tools for as long as we could live. Absolutely. I'm just thinking about what your experience was like when you were 14 through high school. I guess she died when you were in college, I assume. Yep, yep, she died in college. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about comparing that to right now and what that experience is like for kids who are living in a pandemic. I don't know, you know, if you got support, what kind of support you got. Um, and what you think about what's available right now. Yeah, so I um, I 
did get support. Also, my mother was a guidance counselor. So she was, she had kind of the framework to support herself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, um, I think of my experience and what kind of living in that experience looked like when I was a teenager and young adult. Um, and just, I, I have said this, I can't even count so many times as many times as I, as I've said this sentence, but right now, um, there is no escape from the world of cancer, from the world of treatment, from the world of pain, um, that these families are going through. There is no, let me go run out and socialize with my friends. There is no, let me escape. Um, I mean, I can't even count the number of times that I went to a Fred's house just because I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with what was happening in my house. Right. And we, Mm -hmm. we find that a lot. And we actually, that's a great coping tool is to build community and build support and build that system. And it's something we advocate for very strongly in our profession. Um, and it's something we can't, we have to be creative in offering those opportunities right now. And I, you know, these families are living in the world of cancer more than they ever have before. And they are stuck in it and they are sitting in it 24 Mm seven. Um, and you know, we work with families at kind of all ends of the spectrum. So we work with families who are newly diagnosed, um, maybe with a, um, really great prognosis and something that will be able to be surgical and then, um, they'll move forward. And we work with families who are at end of life and they have an advanced diagnosis and there's a lot of needs and maybe they're on hospice in their homes. Um, and that image of not being able to escape that is terrifying for Mm -hmm. me looking back and also for, as I acknowledge as a professional, um, what these families are coping with. And it is really, really hard to be able to, um, acknowledge just from kind of all ends of the, of the, um, spectrum that this is like all consuming. There is no getting out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and as we develop programs and as we're kind of, um, taking the approach of being able to support those families at all ends of the, at, at many different stages of their journeys, um, I think that's that guides what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. That guides the social programs that we're that we're developing. It guides the groups that we have now newly developed in the virtual space because we see a need um, that maybe wasn't the highest priority previously, and right now it is because, yeah. for example, teens and young adults they need to be socializing. They need to be connected to peers. That is a, a groundwork of their developmental stage and they're just not getting the same space to do that as they do um and many of the families that we work with are not comfortable with their kids going out and socializing in person um, and they won't be for a a long time so um developing those spaces and holding that that space for them is um really kind of important in our program planning yeah it's interesting to think about because I think a lot of centers that focus on supporting, you know, families around cancer or other illnesses, um, oftentimes that's what you do when they come to the center, right? You focus on the illness. And I'm wondering if there's a little bit of a shift that people feel like I need a break from that because I can't go to my girlfriend's house. I can't take a weekend away because I can't come home after that. So 
I'm surrounded all the time and I need that break. Jesse, do you have a thought about that? I think that one of the things just to sort of uh, piggyback off of, off of what Rachel said is, you know, the, these virtual spaces and community and finding some way to connect is so important right now. I think that, you know, while, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a teenager in college who, who's dealing with alienation or, you know, I'm not dealing with um, an illness that is, is sort of something I can't escape. What I can, can sort of speak to about my own personal experience is I'm a new mom mm-hmm. and every picture in my head of being a new mom was going out to classes and making new friends. And, you know, everyone always told me, oh, you, you make your, your best friends when you, you have a kid and you meet um, your, your kids, your kids. Um, friends yeah, they're playmates, mom. right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. And I totally don't have that experience. I'm completely alienated. I don't have my family. Um, and, and I'm really alone. And I began to really struggle with that at, at a certain point. And I just sort of had to lean into the fact that this is what the world is right now. So how am I going to, to find connection? And I now have nine friends. We're in a group chat. And we live all, all over the country. One of us lives in California. Someone's in Arizona. I'm here in New Jersey. We've never met in person. But we have a group chat and we talk all day, every day. And I have found my community of people that I can relate to. And it really just helps me to feel like I'm connected. Like I have someone behind, you know, I have nine someones behind me. Mm-hmm. And they get it. They understand what I'm going through. And sometimes it's really good to kind of have a pity party. Yeah. I think that that's really um, undervalued. Sometimes it's okay to just sit in the mud and feel like crap. Mm-hmm. And I hope I can say the word crap. I'm, you I'm, can I'm, say the word crap. <laughs> <laughs> and it's better than the other word I was going to say. <laughs> so it really, truly, sometimes you just need to feel those bad feelings. and commiserate with someone that gets it. So I share this anecdote to say that it really is important to, to find your community and your, and your people, whether, you know, and sometimes it's really hard to put yourself out there. I had to put a post in a Facebook group to say, Hey, I'm a mom too. I'm really lonely. And I just want to find my people. And I had to be really vulnerable in that moment. And it felt really embarrassing for a second. And then I had 40 plus people respond and three group chats grew out of it. Um, and I have found my people and they get me through every single day. If I'm having a moment of woe is me, I can just put it out there and I receive tons of support and it feels amazing. So I, I really, I just want those who are listening to this podcast to, to sort of take that and potentially put yourself out there and and be vulnerable to, to find your people or who it is that's going to help you get through this. Rachel, I'm just wondering, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that, this sense of community that's so important and how difficult, obviously, it is to create that. Um, I'm wondering if you have suggestions about how to do that in the middle of a pandemic when you can't be together. Like if somebody dies, um, you know, we've heard about these. We've probably been to some of them, um, you know, online funerals and drive by wakes and things like that. I don't know if you have other ideas about how people can be supportive to one another um, 
in the middle of a pandemic when they're dealing with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. First off, those those scenarios are so uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable for everyone. It's uncomfortable to attend them. It's uncomfortable to host them. Um, but something I think that's that's valuable in taking away from that is there is a the goal is to is to create that community, right? The community that we would have in person. So um, something that has I think been a a great positive. Dare I say it mm-hmm. to come out of this this time is the opportunities and the options for virtual connection. Um, there are new apps, there are new games, there are new forums, there are mm-hmm. you know there are new platforms all over the place. Um, and I you know I really urge you to search. Just do a quick Google search of. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't even need to be, you know, we used to search for communities near me. It doesn't need to be that anymore. Um, and I think that, uh, there are lots of resources and that's something, I mean, that's something we, we see all the time when we see people coming to us as we tell search for, search for the needs that you have and Mm -hmm. let the, the opportunities come to you that way, instead of kind of letting someone bring them to you. This episode is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing grief support to students and those that support them. Find us at www.inner-harbor.org. Another thing is a lot of the communities, there's no commitment. So you can drop in for one session and you can not not show up right. for the next. So the commitment in terms of just developing relationships and um, reaching out for support to those that may be in similar circumstances is really invaluable. It's it's an absolute benefit. Thank you. I did experience a loss in quarantine. Uh, my uncle passed away pretty much in the thick of this and I wasn't able to be there. And that was really hard. My family put together a Zoom funeral and they propped up the computer and my immediate family was there um, at the graveside. And and to be on the, I have to be totally honest, I'm watching my family grieve through a computer screen. And let's, let's not sugarcoat, that sucks. To see my mom crying and I can't put my arm around her was a really, really difficult experience. And I think that, again, leaning into this stinks and this hurts is okay. Mm-hmm. And I let, you know, I had my good cry and, and then my family went home and everyone was together grieving. Um, in, in Jewish religion, we sit Shiva. We couldn't, couldn't have that experience, couldn't have, you know, the typical... The typical ways that that we know how to grieve, right? It, it, it's like in our in each religion, you know how to grieve. You have your your sort of way to do things, and that wasn't mm-hmm. happening. And I'm sitting on Zoom, and instead of people being able to come pay their respects, I'm getting Zoom chat messages of people, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, and and I don't fault them. That's you know the only way that they could, right. but that felt so weird to me. It it yeah. just it felt strange. Mm-hmm. 
And I had to go through my own process of being able to grieve and, and figuring out how to do that. You know, so I, I sat and I went through, um, you know, technology is great these days. I've got all my home videos in an online cache. And so I sat and I went through all my home videos and I found videos of my uncle and I playing together when I was just an infant and my bat mitzvah, I, you know, him and I dancing together. And then I found some stuff of, you know, him and his children. And I was able to um, pull those and send those to my cousins who had, who had lost their father. And and that mm-hmm. was my way to sort of pay, pay my respects to him, to share with them, you know, look at these special memories that, that we'll always have. Yeah. And it's so untraditional and it, it's bizarre, but we have to find our way um, to be able to do that in these times, to be able to pay our respects, to be able to process, because if we yeah. don't, time's going to pass. And and it's if if we don't allow allow that opportunity now, it it's going to exacerbate. You know, we might and we'll still have moments of sadness. Sure, you know, the next time I go home and see my family and he's not there, that that's going to hurt. But it hurts a little less knowing that I was able to to grieve that loss and to process and to have that moment for myself. Yeah, I'm having this realization as we speak because it's unfortunate for you guys that you're not in my house because it smells delicious in here because I'm baking. Um, so I'm up, upstairs in the crock pot is, um, I'm making an apple pumpkin butter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I decided to, <laughs> it's super simple. Um, What's your but I, decided, <laughs> I decided to do it actually. And I bought these teeny tiny little jelly jars and I'm actually packaging them and delivering them to all of my friends. Um, because I feel like I haven't been able to see them. And as much as I can text them and call them and whatever, I am grieving the loss of just a sense of community. And I want to just knock on all of their doors and then run away. I don't even need to see them, but I just want to be like, I feel like being in proximity to them, even for like a moment. And then knowing that like, Mandy was standing on my doorstep for a second, you know, like it just, I never thought, I just thought like, I like baking. I'll just you know, do this for people. But I really feel like it is this way that I'm grieving right now. And you do want to be with other people. So totally. that's what I'm I, doing. I did totally, is the, the thought of you like ringing the robot and running away. I, mean, <laughs> think of, I don't know if, if you guys did this as kids, but when you boo your neighbors <laughs> and you drop off candy and you run away and like everyone Ding puts a ghost, Yeah. And everyone puts a ghost <laughs> in, their, in their window if they've been booed. I actually did that to my neighbor, but I boozed them with alcohol. Oh, nice. And so I rang their doorbell and ran away. And it was such a, it was nice to feel like I, I did something to make someone else smile. I think giving, mm-hmm. as you highlighted, Mandy, giving back and doing things to make other people smile mm-hmm. for, for a lot of us brings us joy and, and doing things like that. You know, a lot of us have this free time that we didn't have before. So, you know, how can we channel that time into something productive to do yeah. something for our family and friends, whether it's picking up the phone and, and zooming with your family just to say hi and, and let them know that you're thinking about them and check, check in or something that takes a little more time and effort, like making apple butter. Mm-hmm. I think that that's such a good apple example. pumpkin butter. I'm sorry. Apple pumpkin butter. I hope I'm on your list of friends. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like I was thinking about the holidays and how I usually bake cookies for, you know, people in my life to thank them. Um, like, the, you know, my dog goes to daycare and I usually bring mm-hmm. cookies and, and this year it's a little different. So we have to get creative of, 
you know, people may not want to eat something that I baked and, and touched and, you know, all of that because of COVID, we have to think about those things now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how am I going to get creative and, and give back and do something for those people? And it, it gets your wheels turning. Yeah. I just wanted to totally add on that and say what it's been like you know, to start a new job in the midst of this. Um, I, I kept saying to, to our colleagues you know, in a normal circumstance, I would bake a lot of cookies and just show up at the office and have everyone sit around and get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And it's been really interesting kind of just building relationships from scratch, which is very similar to the way that we're talking about building communities, right? You're, you're having to find new ways to build friendships that didn't already exist. Um, And whether it's friendships or working relationships or teacher and student now have to build relationships as well. Um, I think, as Jesse said, just getting creative and getting those wheels turning a little bit in ways that maybe don't look the same, but can produce a similar result. I think it's really possible as as told by Jesse's personal experience, (laughs) that you can build friendships. You can absolutely build friendships in this time without being physically connected to someone. It feels a little strange because it's not what we're used to. But I think there is absolute power in having the control of choosing to do that for yourself or choosing to do something nice for others or choosing to express gratitude. Um, I think it it gives you back a little bit. It's like Mm -hmm. filling that cup. I I love to refer to the self-care cup. Um, And I think we all are cups are all depleted, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. So, um, I think finding ways to do things that also bring you, bring you joy as well as bring others joy is such a great way to, um, to help process, to help cope. So Rachel, um, it's a perfect transition, um, into, I always ask my guests, how are you coping? You know, and I, I used to say, what are some good things you're doing? I try not to say that anymore because you might not be doing good things. Um, I hope you're doing some good things, but how are you coping in general with the pandemic and how are you caring for yourself? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, you know, referring to the cup, I, I always say this, um, you, the the saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. the saying. So uh, my philosophy is that I only pour from the overflow. So I can't give of myself what I have not filled yet. And in our profession, we're giving a lot in all of our professions that are sitting mm-hmm. here. Um, it is it is in our nature. It's what brought us here. Um, it is also something that we do daily for people around us, whether it's people in our, in our professional path or not. Um, and it's what we do for a living. So in a lot of ways, we're giving a lot. And um, in a lot of ways, we're being depleted by the news, by the by the weather sometimes, by whatever's happening around us, by maybe a loss or maybe a diagnosis or, I mean, things that would normally happen as well. But it's extra depleting because we have to work so much harder to find coping mechanisms that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll tell you things that have filled my cup and things that have <laughs> depleted my cup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the news is something that I get stuck on. I am one of those people that once I start scrolling, I really struggle to stop. Um, And it's something that I found myself going back to time and time again in this, Mm -hmm. in the last year. Um, 
something that has uh, something that ha- totally irrelevant for my cr- professional career, but I was traveling Asia <laughs> at the start of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. when it started getting uncomfortable for me to be in Southeast Asia, I came back to America. Um, and look, for me, something that fills my cup is looking at pictures of my travels. Um, I am an avid traveler and going back and spending some time. And I don't mean just scrolling in the five minutes that I have. I mean, blocking off time and saying, I'm going to spend some time with my pictures. What was I doing a year ago? Um, mm-hmm. Has something that has really filled my cup. Um, I move my body every day. I make sure that I move my body every day. How about you, Jesse? As a new mom, I don't know how self-care is. I love a good nap. Mm-hmm. I really, really love a good nap. Mm-hmm. I think that it recharges our batteries. I'm definitely a sleep-deprived person these days. Um, I think that there's also a negative, you know, sometimes it just, we, we shut ourselves off from the world um, and, and it can be a little bit of like a negative coping. So I think I need to stay cognizant of when I'm maybe napping too much or sleeping too long. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't always wake up refreshed if I sleep too long. So I think I have to be very careful about that. Yeah. Um, and just being with my family. It it really is cheesy, but um, our time together is limited. Um, even though we're all stuck together in the house, my husband works um, out of the home. And, and the time that we're all together, because, you know, if, if he's home, I'm working mm-hmm. um, down here in the basement. <laughs> And so I really, the moments that we are physically together and and smiling and laughing and doing little mundane things in the house, I really just sort of take like a snapshot in my mind of that moment and try to hold on to that because they really are precious. And and like Rachel, I'm a big picture person. I try not to get sucked into the Instagram of it all and, and looking at pictures there because it really is, it, it's easy to get, like Rachel said, you know, yeah. sucked in and, and stuck in the scrolling and comparing and, and all of that. And I actually have found myself sitting on Instagram and watching people who are doing things that maybe are a little risky or they're not social distancing or what have you. And it gets me very fired up and very angry. My husband is a first responder or a frontline mm-hmm. worker mm-hmm. and um, it really upsets me. So I find that I have to step back from that and stay away from those things because it's not healthy. Yeah. I'll do it. I, uh, I'm i the first to admit that I do it. It's not healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So when I get in those moments, I have to stop myself and maybe go look at pictures that do bring me happiness. So maybe whether it's, you know, looking at a time that I was with, just like Rachel, with my friends doing something that I love um, and, and sort of resetting. I, I have to be careful about um, that sort of dangerous space that is right. the news and the social media of it all. Um, especially, and I, and I think that that's something that, you know, I know, I know that a lot of your listeners are, are college students and I know that they, that is their world mm-hmm. is, is that space. So just, you know, call, being there's, there's a term I heard recently. It's, um, it's like, uh, oh, it's escaping me. It's, um, like, what is it? It's like when you're scrolling with like purpose, it was like a term I heard recently. And I thought that was so great. Like, like scrolling with purpose or intention, intention, and, and sort of not just like mindlessly doing it, really paying attention to what you're doing and what you're seeing. Okay. Because I think we can continue to scroll and see these negative images and not even realize it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's something that I, I think is really important. Yeah. I just want to add that something that I've been really intentional about since um, throughout this year is something that we acknowledge all the time in our profession, but we don't, we don't always give ourselves permission to do the same, um, is to just 
say that it's not okay, <laughs> that it's not fair, that it's not okay, that um, yeah. I'm having a hard time. And it is showing ourselves that compassion that we oftentimes show others, but have a hard time showing ourselves. Um, and I have been really intentional about just kind of checking in with myself. As Jesse said, just check in with yourself. Um, like, am I okay right now on a scale of zero to 10? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And when I say, no, I'm at a three, um, just sitting in it, just letting yeah. it happen, not trying to make it okay. Um, which is something we do all the time for our, the children and families that we work with. We tell people all the time that you don't have to make it okay. It's not fair. It's not going to be okay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's harder to do for ourselves. So that is definitely something that I'm doing. Good for you. So if people want to find you and they have more questions about the cancer support community of Central Jersey, um, how can they reach out to you? Um, or find out more about the programming. Sure. So, so quick Google search of CSCCNJ or Cancer Support Community of Central New Jersey will bring you right to us. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have a website. Or you can email Rachel or myself. My email address is J-G-U-Z-I-K at cancersupportcnj.org. And Rachel's is the same with her name. So it's R Warner. R-W-E-R-N-E-R at cancersupportcnj.org. We are pretty responsive to emails and I would say that's the best way to get in touch with us. But if you want to see all the awesome things that we're doing, definitely check out our website. We have a whole page for support for families and our programs for children and families. Thank you so much to Rachel and to Jesse for being on the podcast today. And thank you to Stephen Bluestein for audio production. Next week is going to look a little bit different the final episode of this season. It's just going to be me. We're going to talk about ways to include the person that has died in your holiday observances. So join us then. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.